You are listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church. What's up, church? Y'all good? Thanks, Pat. It's always good to be with the Lord's people, um, particularly when you're preaching. There's just something that the Lord does in your heart. Um, I pray that all of you get to experience it at some point in your life. As Pat said, uh, church planting resident, and so the Lord birthed in me a desire to see people who are far from God come to know God and then train them up, make disciples, send them back out, and to continue to see what was witnessed in Acts chapter 2 early on in the church. And so as we began entering that journey um, eight years ago, it's been an eight-year-long journey that the Lord has uh, gone to work growing that, that seed and that desire. And so grateful to be with you guys today and to uh, preach Jesus. And if you're a guest with us today, we welcome you in. We have been walking through the book of Colossians. We've been taking a look really at what Paul is doing is exposing Christ clearly to the Colossian church and to those who were gathered at Colossae. And really, that's the message of the entire Bible. And when we talk about being gospel-centered, that's what we mean, that the gospel is at the center of the Bible because Jesus, the message of Christ, is at the center of the Bible. And it's for you, and it's for me, and for those who have yet to hear it. And so it's a joy for us as believers to gather around Christ, gather to Christ, gather for Christ, gather with him today, that Christ is our worship leader Christ lifts all of our worship into the heavenlies and makes it acceptable to the Father. Amazing, right? And so Paul, as Patrick and and Galen and others have been preaching, Paul is essentially saying, yo, look at Jesus. Look, Look at Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Take your eyes off elementary principles of this world, the philosophies of men, all the things that the world trumps up to try to tell you that's necessary other than Jesus. Take your eyes off Jesus. That's what the subtitle of this sermon series should be called. Look at Jesus and every subsequent series we ever preach here at the church. And so it's a joy for me to join in, to lift my voice alongside these faithful brothers to communicate that Christ is God. Christ came in the flesh. The fullness of God dwells in him bodily. And so what does that mean for us today? That's what we're going to take a look at. How does the truth about who Jesus was and is impact us as followers of Christ today in the year 2016? So last week, if you were here with us, you remember Patrick preached from Chapter 2, Colossians, verses um, 6 through 10. And Pat reminded us, as Paul did, that to be followers of Christ means that we are rooted in him, that our identity, all of the source of our strength, all of our nourishment, spiritual vitality, is connected to the fact that we are rooted in Christ alone. He reminded us of that as he preached from the text. And so today that lands us in the same chapter. We're going to take a look specifically today at verses 11 through 15 together. And we will unpack what Paul continued to communicate to that church in Colossae together. 
And then we'll come back at the end and take a look at the application. What does that really mean for you and I? I'm going to start us uh, actually rereading what Patrick preached through uh, last week. Just because the flow, of the, the flow of what he communicates today kind of ties into this continual flow of his letter. So if you have your Bibles, you have your smartphones, your devices, whatever you have, get over to Colossians chapter 2. We'll begin reading in verse 6, and we'll read all the way down through 15. If you don't have a Bible, there are some Bibles around you. should be some Bibles in the backs of the chairs or in the pews. You can grab that. And I'm actually, and I'm reading from the elect standard version today. So if you don't have that, bear with me. Starting in verse 6, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him... The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him all also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Let's pray. Oh Christ, it's in you that we live, that we move, that we have our being, and that everything that we need that pertains to life, that pertains to godliness is found in you. You've been gifted to us as followers of you, and so we thank you for your word that is truth, that it really reminds us of the truths that are already out there that we need to be reminded of daily. And today, God, I pray that you would take your word by the power of your spirit, God, come and massage these truths deep into our hearts, into our minds, that we would grasp the depths of what Paul has written through by the unction of the Holy Spirit, God. You would use it to change us, that we would begin to see you clearly, that we would begin to know you, God, with greater depth, and that it would change the way that we live our lives for all eternity, God. For it's in him and with him that we are victorious. And so we praise you, God. Now come and preach, Holy Spirit, through me. Awaken hearts to hear what the Spirit has to say today, we ask. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So one of the things I really appreciate about Scripture and if you're a student of the Bible, which if you're a believer, I assume that you are, is that the scripture comes and meets us in the world that we live in. And so the scripture's not dealing with these abstract ideas. The scripture comes and meets us today in the world in which we live in, in the same way in which Paul 
preached to these people in Colossians and these believers that were gathered in the churches. And he, and he comes and he takes what's going on in their culture and he kind of unpacks that and relates it to the theology about who Christ is. And that's really what we want to do each and every time we come and we expose the words. We want to take a look at what God is saying to us and how he's letting us see where we are in today's culture and practically what does that mean for me? What does that mean for you in light of God's truth? And so today that's exactly what happens. And we see it most particularly in Paul's letters all throughout as he was writing to churches. He was communicating truths and he was at times correcting and he was at times affirming. He was setting in the way in which Christian life should be lived. But Colossians is all about lifting up Jesus as God. And so these Christians are not unlike some of us. We Definitely struggle, if you're like me, with gospel amnesia, right? We, we, we tend to forget the truth about what God has done for us, what he has called us to through wooing us to himself in the proclamation of the gospel through the work of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And so Paul, in verse chapter 11, he had just said that in verse 10, that coming off of Pat's sermon, that you are filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. And then verse 11, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. If you paid close attention to these verses that we read, you'd have caught on to Paul's repetition of these prepositional phrases over and over again. You guys, y'all remember prepositional phrases, right, from ninth grade? In, with, it describes the relationship between one object and then another within that phrase. And so here Paul is saying, hey, Christians, in and with, in relation to Christ, this is your identity. Look at verse 11. In him you also were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. This is how you've been filled because you've been brought into Christ. It's been all of Christ. It will always be Christ that you are filled because of what God has done. This is the language of ownership. God has come and said, you're mine. This is how I've done that. Look what Paul says, verse 11. He said, with a circumcision that's made without hands, right? So circumcision under the old covenant was an outward sign of the people of God that they were belonging to God. Now, thank God we still don't have that same right today. It's a, Paul says it's no longer a circumcision made with hands. It's a circumcision made without hands. The circumcision of the heart, the Holy Spirit comes, cuts away at our heart, cuts off the desires of the flesh, gives us a new heart, gives us a new way of seeing, a new way of living. And it's done by the work of God alone, by putting off this body of flesh. And so today, I want us to pay attention to those prepositions in him, with him. And ultimately, it's because of that that it's for the win for you, Christian, today. So Jesus took this at the cross. He was himself circumcised. He himself, his whole body was stripped away. His flesh, he was unrecognizable to the human eye. Stripped away, circumcised entirely, that, our, that we too 
our body of flesh and death and sin will be torn away because of our identity in him, Paul says. It's in him that we have been circumcised. So how does our union with Christ now affect the way in which we see and live and respond now as followers of Jesus? And also, what does it mean for us for the hope of our future that we're with him? I'm glad you asked because Paul answers that question as we move through. These, are, I, these rephrases tie us into an identity and it's the language of identity. All of us have a certain identity being born. We, a lot of us have struggled with finding our identity. What does it mean to be fully human as the person that I am, the way that God has created me? There's a struggle in our society today about identity. And it's an issue where people think that whatever actions you do, that defines who you are, right? Paul says that identity for you, Christian, is found that Christ has brought you into him. You have a new identity. This sign, this covenant that God makes with his people had spiritual significance. No longer are we required to participate in this physical circumcision but our hearts have been changed. The death of the old man, the flesh and its power over us is dead. It's been cut away at the cross. And before we came to Christ, we had no power over the flesh. We had no ability to say no to the flesh. We were being led along by our desires at the strongest desire of our heart. And now the spirit comes in, takes residence, and takes control over us. And so it's in him that that is realized because Christ has made us his. Look at this language Paul also uses in Romans. It's the same language that in him we have died to the sin power. It's in Romans chapter 6. Paul says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Verse 7, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Our old self crucified at the cross, positionally now justified before the Father, not on basis of what we've done, but all on what Christ has accomplished for us. But, but I know you guys still sin every day, because I know I sin every day, Right? So that struggle is real. The reality of what Christ has done and how we're caught up in him and he's bringing us into the completion of that ultimately one day as we're being sanctified and then the daily struggle that we wrestle with our flesh. And so what Paul is saying is that the power of sin, when Christ paid for the penalty of our sins on the cross, that power was broken and now we have the ability to live for God, we have the ability to please God now because sin has been broken at the cross, at the cross. We are now rooted in him. Our identity is in him alone. We're gonna come back to that here in a bit. Look at verse 12 as Paul continues writing. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. With him, 
This language Paul uses is a language that is a security language. It's a place that God has positioned us with Christ. It's the same language that Paul uses in Ephesians chapter 2, that we have been seated with him in heavenly places, right? Seated with God, that means we're eternally secure. In him, our identity has been changed to new And now, in him, our security is forever held by Jesus Christ. He sat down, and he holds us. In him, never to be taken away. Nothing can take us away from the security that we have in him. And Paul says this is how it was done. He uses this metaphor from the cross and says that the baptism represents the identity that we have in Christ, in his death, and his resurrection. Look at it. He says, You were buried with him, right? We recognize that baptism is a great picture for us in our union and communion with Christ, and that in baptism we were buried with him. Your old man is dead. You've died with Christ, and now in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. All of this new life that we have in Christ has been accessed by a powerful working of faith that comes from God, Paul says. It's a powerful working of faith that with him we are secure. That should free us up. We don't have to try to work our way to God. We don't have to try to keep all of the the rules and the rituals and all the things that the Old Testament law brought to bear upon God's people. Christ said he came and fulfilled all of that for us, and now secure, we are with him. Our identity is in him, secure forever. We are now with him, and our hope is forever secure. So Christ speaks to our everyday life, and he defines our present reality that's in him. And then he speaks to the future hope that we have that's with him. And today I want to encourage you, church, that if you're in Christ You will rule and reign with him. You will be with him. All that Christ has experienced, all that Christ has promised for you is accomplished because you are going to be with him. You died with him. You've been raised to new life with him. And your sins have been put away. Your flesh is being put to death on a daily journey. But you will one day be with him. Ephesians. All of this accessed by virtue of faith. That's a powerful working of God, that God comes and gives us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to believe, minds to comprehend and know the truth, that we can respond with faith, that we place our hope and trust, put all of our cards and lay them down in on Jesus, say, I'm all in with you, Jesus. It's only by a powerful working of faith. If you have faith in here to believe in Christ, that was a powerful working of God in your life, brother and sister. Don't discount that. Don't discount that God brought a powerful working of faith to make you his, to take ownership of you, to make you his son or daughter. So now your identity is son and daughter of God. Once you were alienated, Paul wrote to the Romans, in sin far from him under his wrath, Now God has cleared the table. He's called the servants. Set it for my children are coming. Let's grab a seat at the table. You have a name place at the table for you to come and sit and feast of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Wow. 
The faith, the powerful working of faith that works in and through us, church. Brother and sister, you're secure with him. He proved it when he raised him from the dead. He proved it when he raised him from the dead. If Paul said, if we are most to be pitied, we're fools. If Christ didn't raise from the dead, why are we here? We're just a club if Christ didn't raise from the dead. There's no power in what we proclaim if Christ didn't raise from the dead. And so we're with him, and because of that faith that we access all of these promises, we now have life forever secure with Christ. Let's come back to that in a little bit. Moving on, verse 13. Paul then explodes into kind of the the reality of what happened when you were brought into God's family. How he accomplished it, he now says in verse 13, this is what happened to you, and this is the message of the gospel that we proclaim today. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh. So you were dead. You had no ability to respond to God before God breathed over you, awakened you to himself, and gave you the gift of faith to respond and hope in Jesus as you saw your desperate place before him waiting to be crushed by the wrath of God. And he says, I got you. Come over here. I love you. And he woos you into the presence of himself in Christ. This is the same very, very familiar language that Paul used in Ephesians again. In Ephesians, Paul's talking about the church. And here in Colossians, he's talking about Christ. And in the letters that he wrote to the churches in Ephesus, he said that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But God, right? right? That, that's the epithet for all Christians. When they come and look at our tombstone, I hope we have but God on our tombstone, our headstone, but God. That, that tells the story that our identity was in Christ and that Christ accomplished everything for us and made us alive together with him. How did he do that? Having forgiven us all of our trespasses, he made us alive together with him. Our place is secure. Grace has been lavished upon us. And Paul is explaining it here, how it has happened in very vivid details. He says that this has happened in regeneration. He reminds us that what we've experienced has come through this faith in Christ. And you were dead. You were dead, but now you're alive. And most of you, If you're in here and you're following Jesus, you know what it means to be dead. You know what life was before Jesus came and pulled you out of your death and gave you new clothes and gave you a heartbeat and a desire to live for him. You know what that looks like. You know the change. For those of you who are in here today who have not placed your hope in Jesus, you don't get it. You're struggling with what Paul's saying. You don't understand what does it mean for trespasses. I was dead in my trespasses. What does that mean? That means you had no way of being in a right relationship with God. You had no way of being accepted by God on anything that you could bring and present to him, right? But Paul says, 
that you were in the uncircumcision of your flesh. Your, your flesh was dead. It was death. It was stench. It was full of sin, but God made us alive together in him. That's the gospel that we proclaim, that we once were dead, but now we're alive because of Jesus. We once were dead and ruined in sin and destined to utter destruction, and now we've been made alive because of what Christ has done. He's come and he's taken ownership over us and then has seated us with him, securing our faith and our hope for all eternity. I don't know about you, but that's good news, church. That's good news. That's the news that the world needs to hear, the news that Christ offers new life, that Christ offers genuine life. People all around us seem to be living, they're walking dead, opposed to God. And God has called us to be ambassadors of that reconciliation. This is the gospel message. Paul makes it clear. We have been buried with him. We've been raised with him. We've been made alive with him. Jesus is the pattern for the Christian life. We all have that same experience. Jesus came down, went into the depths of the earth, and came back up. That's our pattern, Christian. Humbly, God brings us low, calls us in, identifies us with him, circumcising our hearts, baptizing us into the death of Christ and raising us up to new life, seating us in heavenly places with him. That's your journey. That's your destiny. That's the hope that Jesus gives us. That's where we find security. That's where our identity meets reality. That's where our identity meets the reality of this present world. Verse 14. When Jesus goes to the cross, he not only took our sins, but he also takes the law and the implications of the law with him. Let's see it. In verse 14, he says, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So this canceling, this record of debt, this picture that Paul uses is a word picture that was to our indebtedness to God because of sin. And in the culture, when, they would, when the Romans would do crucifixions, they would post a statement above the head of the person who they were crucifying, and it would read why they were dying. It would be basically a testimony of to why they crucified them. It would be their letter of debt. And what Paul does here. As he takes this, he gives us this word picture that, that Christ took that record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. And the legal demands refers to the law that we, on our, in our own strength, are unable to satisfy the law, unable to keep God's law perfectly to be saved by the law. And Christ said he came to not abolish that, but he, on our behalf, filled it for us, fulfilled it. And so now, Paul's saying that that record of debt that you've you know, incurred over the years of living, that record of debt that needs to be put to death, and it was at the cross, it was nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, those legal demands of the law have been set aside now because Christ has fulfilled it all. The legal demands were weighing over you. Think about debt. Think about how debt in your own personal life, if you've ever been in a place where you've had been overwhelmed with debt, financial debt. Think about the weight 
upon which that rests on you. It, I, I've, in a place in my life, I was there, and it was, I mean, debilitating, and it overwhelms. You can't think about anything else. You can't, tr- you're trying everything you can to kind of work out ways in which you can get out from under the weight of that debt. And that's just in the financial realm, right? Think about this record of debt that stands against us with the holy God. The weight of that. If you're not in Christ, I know you lay down at night and you're uneasy because there's a weight of sin that rests over you. The wicked do not find peace. There's no peace for the wicked, the psalmist writes. And when you lay down at night, there's an uneasiness because if you're indebted to God. Hey, I have good news today. Jesus took that record of debt. He nailed it to the cross when he died on that cross for you and for me. That weight is gone. Think about, you, you guys know Dave Ramsey, right? Dave Ramsey, this financial peace guru. If you've ever listened to Dave Ramsey, he has people calling in. And they call in and they, and they say, hey, we're debt free. And they yell it out over the air. And they celebrate it. And they proclaim it, the goodness of it. And they're talking about their financial freedom. Think about Christ. When Christ said, to Telestai, it is finished. He said, God, they're debt free. Their record of debt is canceled. No longer hangs over them. This debt is forgiven, washed away. Cried it out into the epic of eternity for us. Debt free, we have no more weight of sin, no more shame hanging over us. Shame's a huge thing that Satan uses to try to come and manipulate it and to take us away from what we believe and know about God. But Paul says, Christian, in him, with him, your debt has been canceled and the demands that the law made against you and testified against you and that they wrote above your head, Christ took all that. He nailed it to the cross. It's all been taken care of. Christ finished it. He resolved it for all of you. Shame and guilt have been dealt with in Jesus Christ. Because shame is rooted in identity if you get really down to the bottom of it. Shame is rooted that you don't believe the truth about who God says you are. You believe rather what you believe about yourself is true and the identity that you've taken on. And that's why this sermon is so powerful that it's in him and it's with him because our identity has changed. It's not what our auto signature says about us at the end of our email. General manager, international sales manager, school principal, business owner, homeschooling mom, on and on and on. Whatever is at the next to your name on your auto signature, that's the world's way of telling you who you are. That's a shallow thing. And when you're hoping in something like that that can be taken away, you're sitting on shifting sand. Hope that can be taken away is not it. Hope. Hope that can be taken away is not worth putting your hope in, is not worth placing your faith and trust in. There's only one thing that Paul says we can hope in that was and is and is to come, and it's because we're in him.
that our hope flourishes and that our hope is strengthened and that our faith rises up to believe that what Jesus says about us is true because we're in him. All that he accomplished, all of our identity rests in the fact that we are in him. We've been seated with him. And that victory is coming, church. It's going to be realized one day. We will realize that. It's in him. It's with him. And it's for the win, Paul says. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. How did he put them to open shame? He triumphed over them in him. So at the cross, there was a decisive moment and a decisive defeat for all these demonic powers and principalities and rulers of this world. They were stripped of their power to accuse us, to accuse believers before God. They had no more power to, to go and accuse the believers. And what it understood what was going on in Colossae at the time was that there was this syncretic doctrine and the Colossian heresy was that you had to believe in Jesus, you had to keep the law, and you had to somehow satisfy all of these demonic powers to be accepted by God. That somehow that you were in fear of these demonic spiritual uh, principalities separating you from God and being in right relationship with him. And Paul addresses that here and says that the victory was at the cross they continue to exist, he says, and they, these demonic powers continue to incite evil. But Christian, your victory's coming, and we're called to fight back darkness, right? That's our role in this world is the fighting back the darkness. Ephesians 6.12 says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and spiritual realities and demonic forces in the world. And so that's what we accomplish by being lights in this world. God shames these demonic powers when he claims victory over sin, death, Satan, and the grave in Jesus. Paul says he disarmed them. They have no authority. They have no power. And he put them to open shame. Shame is rooted in identity. Your ident if you have an identity crisis and you don't believe what God says about you is true, shame is going to be constantly. Every time you fail, every time you sin and go against God. Shame is going to roll over you. Every time you feel like a failure, every time you think that you have not accomplished everything that you wanted to accomplish, that you somehow did not meet God's expectations for you in a certain way within your life, or if you, if you look at your family and you're really discouraged about where your family is, or you've had goals in life, personal goals about at this age of my life, I would be here, and I would have this, and I would have done that, and I would have experienced this. Shame comes in, and shame comes in to tell you that you're not worthy, you're no good, you need to give up, you're not accepted, you're a failure, and shame preaches at you, and Paul says that that shame has been put to open display. He publicly demonstrated it at the cross. He put these rulers and authorities to open shame, and he publicly did it when he, Jesus triumphed over them at the cross. And so what we have is that shame and guilt for you have no more teeth. They have, there's nothing there. They can constantly be flapping, they can't take anything from you. They're constantly going. There's, nothing, there's no bite. It's just all bark. 
And so this defeat was done. In this, the imagery that we get is that this, these Roman generals, after they would win their battles, they would bring back their, the, the people who they had defeated and they would walk them through the city naked and they would shame them. Their identity rooted in defeat, rooted in the nakedness. There's nothing more shameful to a human being than being seen naked and all of your failures, all of your flaws. And that's the picture that these rulers, demonic forces, Jesus shamed them to the utmost degree when he triumphed over them. God triumphed over them at the cross when he did it in Christ. And for you, we have our victory. That is our victory over sin and shame and guilt and the power that rests in that for these demonic forces to try to come and raise that up into our mind and to hold us down and to keep us believing something other than the gospel. That's why the gospel, we have to preach the gospel to ourselves every day because the gospel reminds us of who we are in Christ, that we've been seated with him now because we've been raised to new life. So Christ has won this for us. And when shame comes to greet you in the face and knocks on your door, I got the victory, bro. I got the victory in Jesus. Preach the gospel to your shame. Preach the gospel to your guilt. Preach the gospel to your struggle with shame and security. And so what does that mean now for you and me in light of all of this? If we look at Jesus on display, what he has accomplished, we are now in him. We're seated finally with him. It'll be realized that victorious day, it's an already not yet thing. And so our place is secure with him. So practically, that means we don't live for the approval of others. Our life is not about what he or she said or if we got 10,000 likes on our Facebook video or on our Instagram post if we got 1,200 views or whatever it is to find affirmation. Those are false gods looking for something they cannot deliver for you. Your identity is in Christ, in him. You're seated with him. And so now you've been called to be ambassadors of God, telling of this great historic rescue that God has brought you from this death to life. He's made you his, approved and accepted by God in Jesus. And so you don't have to be identified in your job and in what you do because identity no longer is rooted in what you do. You once were dead, past tense, in your trespasses. You once were sinner. Now you've been made alive. Your identity has changed. There's been a transference for you. And so you don't have to worry about if you lose your job or you lose your hair, right? It doesn't matter. It doesn't affect who you are. That has no power over you. Right? You guys get that. This world drives at us that our identity is in our physical being and in what we accomplish and what we accumulate and how we work and what we do. That is some serious bondage if you live for the approval of other men and women looking to be affirmed when you've already been affirmed in Jesus. And so the lie is that our identity is derived from what we do and not in who and whose we are. Paul says today that in him, Church, your sons, your daughters of God, accepted, 
You're beloved of God. So we don't live for God's approval, but as an overflow of who we are already approved in Christ. We now live, that changes the way in which we live our life, living out of who we are, already identified in Jesus, being able to live full of love, full of truth, full of grace, because we have received much grace from him. Our future is secure with him. You guys ever sit and kind of contemplate what it's going to be like when your days on this life, in this life are over? If you do, I, I hope you do, because God made us to live forever. And so this is just the passing through. So I hope you sit and think about those important questions of where you're going to be when this life is gone. Paul said that you're secure with him. In Christ, you're secure with him. You have your place firmly seated in heavenly places, secure. If you're not in Christ, you don't have a place of security. You don't have an identity that's been moved over into the place of son or daughter. You're separated from God. And so I implore you today on behalf of Christ, repent and come to Jesus. Put your hope in Christ so that you can be made new and your life can be changed eternally in Christ. So what we see today that no matter if our kids rebel, wow, Tomball came out. Rebel, let me get back, rebel, or their name to the National Honor Society. Our hope is secure knowing that Jesus owns all that's magnificent and Jesus owns all of the minutia. He owns it all. And it's in him that we realize our identity, the fullness of what he's called us to, and it's all together for his glory and for our good. Christ is the victor, and it's in him, and it's with him that we also realize a victorious life. Listen to what Luther writes in that famous, a mighty fortress is our God. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. A mighty fortress is our God. It's in him, church. It's with him, and it's for the win that we will realize it because of our faith in Jesus Christ. He has made a way for you and I to be reconciled with God. That's good news. That's the greatest need that we have. That's the message we proclaim. That's the message that we live. That's the identity that we have now. I encourage you today, press into the gospel. Press into the truth that you've been made alive. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church.